Welcome back to the Bets vs. Golf DFS show. As always, I'm your host, John Daigle. Joined today as a duo, not a trio, by none other than the sports betting manager here at Bets vs. and 4 for 4 Football. Also the host of the Move the Line NFL betting podcast back every Wednesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern. It is none other than friend in life, Ryan Noonan. Noonan, how's everything going on that end? It's going well, buddy. We were talking before we got started here. I feel like this is a... A better watch, especially on Sunday, when you get into like the alternate shots, you know, team format here that we have is a little bit different. It is a tough, uh, tough DFS slate. Hopefully, we can have some actionable takeaways here because this is, uh, you know, I like the wrinkles, breaking up the monotony of the in-season stroke play stuff that we we grind on. I wish it was a little further down the road because we just had a wrinkle not too long ago with match play, but here we are, and uh, you know, it's an interesting event. Especially tough after a riveting finish at Harbor Links, where came down to Spieth having a miraculous final day, as we've seen Spieth do from time to time. But also because this is truly a week for degenerates. Whether you bet or play DFS, I bet the field will, for better or worse, be less rostered, be less impactful, be fewer players wanting to jump in on DFS since there is a lot going on. And that's why I want to get right into it because we begin this journey at TPC Louisiana, which keep in mind is also a lengthy course and featuring four par fours of at least 470 yards and all par threes being over 200 yards. Beyond that though, as I mentioned, for DFS specifically, interesting because we have a massive 160-player field comprised of 82-man teams that entail two days, Thursday and Saturday, a four-ball play where every golfer plays their own ball and the team then takes the highest score of the two on that hole. And then two days, Friday and Sunday, where teammates alternate shots and take whatever they finish with, which is also why teammates are priced the same in DFS on DraftKings in particular, and you are not permitted to play both according to site rules. It'll just tell you cannot lock this lineup. So what do you think of first whenever you start building lineups for this particular format? Yeah, it's tough. You can't get cute. Like you can't pick Ryan Palmer and think you're getting you know, Scotty Scheffler for cheap because you're just getting mm-hmm. the same. It's like cumulative ownership. So, yeah, I mean, so there's a few things, right? So there's the team format. And as you mentioned, like the, the best ball and alternate shot situation here too. We also have no shot link data. And we have another Pete Dye track. I believe this is like three and six weeks. Mm-hmm. And typically the format, it, like the way that these Pete Dye tracks play and his design, especially off the tee and the way he wants to visualize or have you visualize the shots, it kind of brings the entire field together. There's a lot of forced layups, even though it is lengthier than like last week, Pete Dye track at Harbortown. Um, so it is just, it's one of those events that is probably more narrative based that like you can tell yourself stories when trying to pick through the player pool you know, where, you know, are these guys familiar with each other? Do they have any relationships? Are there, you know, college stories that we don't know about? We've uncovered some of those are already today. Um, It is definitely a thing where you can get really cute trying to pair skill sets. We're like, okay, well, this guy's great off the tee and this guy's great on approach and they could just get, you know, flipped together. And all of a sudden you're not even benefiting from what you thought was a great matching and pairing because the guy who's, not good off the tee is driving the ball sometimes. And the guy who's not as strong with the approach game is, you know, set to hit that second shot. So I wouldn't get too cute trying to retrofit those things because the guys can get flipped really quickly. It's just finding some narratives, some values, looking at ownership that you think can make sense. It's definitely less of a analytical data driven week. And it is definitely more of probably a game theory ownership. Cause to your point, there's not gonna be a lot of casuals 
in the lobby this week because it's just not a aesthetically pleasing week uh, that we were typically used to. That's what my DFS brain did at first as well, was think about, well, if even if we think this is the winning team, what if I can get Ryan Palmer rostered lower than Scotty Scheffler? But as you yeah. already pointed out, doesn't matter. It's cumulative ownership. It doesn't change. So that already takes a intricate thought process out of it. I'm wondering... Yeah. Because I, after I dove deep, I'm curious if this means anything to you. Since after looking at the results of last year's biggest tournament in this format, 200K to first on DraftKings, uh, not only did the average salary for teams finishing in the top 10 what, average out to 9,600. So that affords you basically one team 67 to 7K, and then basically you're spending up high eights all the way, maybe one over. Um, significantly in the 10k range um but the ownership despite that average salary 9600 the average ownership of every golfer came out to 11.8 percent so basically low rostered teams and players in the 8ks that are considered long shots but basically just went away from the rest of the field does any of that mean thing to you like is this something that we should be playing outrights and longer shot golfers knowing that it's team play and anything can happen yeah, I mean, it, like I said, that's part of the nature of this event too, and and the P die courses in general is that it does bring the field together a little bit more than you know. Even last week's a little bit different. Well, it was a shorter course, so that was easier to profile ball striking, and it's so narrow. You can have different sight lines that matter. But like TBC Sawgrass, like for the players, is a perfect example. There's another P die track that's of similar length, and because of the way that it's laid out, it there's you know you, it takes away some of the, like the driving distance you know, guys that you like to look at bombers or things like that, like really brings in any skill set. So, yeah, I mean, part of it, JD, is that we just want to avoid the sixes. I mean, we talked about it beforehand, like trying to spend up, and there are a few teams up there that make a ton of sense. Like if I'm going to hit two and even really hit one above 10K, it's going to put me down into a tier that's very uncomfortable trying to find, you know, birdie makers here, right? You need to be able to take advantage of guys, especially when you're playing best ball, there's a strategy with the pairings that is different than a unique event too, right? If I know that you are up on the tee first and you stripe one and you're in the fairway, uh, but I'm longer off the tee and I want to push it a little bit, I can go for it because I know that we're already as a team pretty safe because you're in the fairway. So if we maybe have a birdie opportunity, we can worst case scenario, get out of here with uh, a par, but, you know, that adds a different element too. That's really, really hard, especially if like first, like, well, first round leader, it's more of a betting thing. But like, again, there's so many different strategies here with, with the way that the best ball and alternate shot can work. Let's get right into it then, because the elite tier is fairly simple. The elite tier is the only four teams on DraftKings that are priced over 10K. That is the team of Colin Morikawa and Victor Hovland. Alexander Shoffley and Patrick Cantley, who you mentioned avoiding sixes, but are so good that last year at this event shot a 74 on Friday, two over par, and still not only made the cut, but finished T11. Cam Smith and Mark Leishman, and Billy Horschel and Sam Burns. So do you want to spend up for any of these? Do your lineup building start with any of these teams, or are you looking elsewhere? My guess is that the Horschel-Burns team is probably the most popular. When we get a first look at ownership, um, they are, well, first of all, they just, I don't know. Like, first of all, Burns is from the area. Um, Horschel's a bulldog. So, like, I don't think that they're going on, like, they're just going down there to play and hang out and, you know, spend some time together. Like, they're going to win. They want 
to to do this together. They got close last year. Um, I think that there are some you know skill sets. But Horschel's playing better than he was last year. You know, Burns is an ascending player, kind of turned the corner right around this time last year. So I think that that's probably the most ownership. Um, theoretically, you would love to get up to the Morikawa Hovland team, but again, it's going to force you to make some decisions and click some names that you really don't want to down the board. So even that savings of a couple hundred dollars, um, I think makes the most sense. Cam Smith, we saw some sporadic golf last week. Again, they won this last year. Maybe they want to defend, um, which I'm sure they do. But I think in that group by far, and it's my favorite play in the group would be Horschel Burns. It just becomes, is it really problematic to click it? Because if it's upwards north of, you know, say upper teens and 20, uh, like it's a little hard to do. That's already interesting because I thought Horschel Burns would be the lowest rostered among mm. the four, and people would instead pay up for the team of Morikawa and Hovland or Shopley and Cantlay, uh, especially because when you look at any model, Morikawa and Hovland grayed out pretty well sure, just, sure. In ha- just in having a great mesh and their team and what they do best and their weaknesses together. I also personally, as you mentioned, like Cam Smith and Mark Leishman, just like Rory and Masters DFS as we talked about, uh, it is a terrific spot after not two poor weeks necessarily, but two weeks in which Cam Smith didn't live up to the hype really on the final day. Uh, it seems like another great spot to just roster Cam Smith in hopes that everyone just rides his Sunday at RPC and instead fades him for that reason. Mark Leishman also great off the team mesh as well with Cam Smith's most recent approach shots and T to green stats. So overall, yeah, I like that pairing the most, but admittedly, I think I'm personally going to live in the middle tier, the next tier, and that's kind of where I start in just fading anything over 10K personally. Yeah, I understand that too. I do I do agree with you that the Cam Smith, Mark Leishman is probably the lowest owned of that 10K group, partially because, like you said, you know, the Cam Smith thing, like we, what we saw last week, um, you know, how we can get sporadic at times. Again, questioning motivation. Like we just don't have a lot this week that's uh, that can be as data driven. Like they won it last year. Or are they just kind of going through the motions? Are they here to defend? Uh, I, I think that they're probably going to be the uh, lowest owned in the group for sure. Moving on, though, there's a lot to talk about in this middle tier because there's- Scotty Scheffler and Ryan Palmer, of course, at the top. I think Shane Lowry and Poulter is a great combination, but also given that we actually do expect them to compete, I think they will be fairly popular, at least over expectations. I've already seen a lot of people, and we'll get into the reasons why here after I'm done listening to them, but we've already seen a lot of people talk about Sergio Garcia and Tommy Fleetwood as major contenders in this format. Uh, I believe Will Zalatoris and Davis Riley will be one of the most popular teams to roster in DFS. And then some others, just like the Georgia Bulldog connection between Sepp Straka and Grayson Sig and Graham McDowell and Seamus Power down at 8,600. Those seem to all be popping right now. So let's go ahead and start at the top for you. What's the first team that comes to mind in this range? Yeah, my favorite team here is the uh, Chilean mix here with uh... – with Neiman and Mito. I mean, I just, I mm-hmm. think that's, you know, they're young kids that are, I think definitely motivated would love for uh, them to get Mito to get his, you know, first win. I uh, like the form was on both of them at RBC heritage last week and they both performed pretty well, not a great close, but uh, again, both T30. So I think that they were very much in play here. Um, you know, decent price is not very prohibitive at 9,200. I think you make a good call on the Sergio and Fleetwood number. Um, pretty alarming how short their number is in the betting markets, which is a little bit telling Sergio 
just had been like a ball striking wizard, couldn't make a putt for a solid two years, but just was tee to green elite and lost a little bit. But last time out at the Masters, like was dialed in. I think he gained like seven strokes on approach at the Masters. So Fleetwood has been basically an auto T20 for the last, I think the last six stroke play events, he is T20. So it's not a huge birdie making duo. Uh, they can also just grind out the pars too. If they can get, uh, if they can get hot and, and get the putter running a little bit hot with Sergio, they're very much in play here. Just interested to see where the ownership is on that group. Um, same thing for Bubba and, and Harold Varner. You know, that is a probably feels like one of the most volatile groups. But again, if the if we can get any putting from that duo with HV3's current form, um, Bubba could be, again, he likes this team event, has had a couple of T10s here. Uh, Varner had some success here as a solo. So um, I think that that team is pretty interesting too. So do you think the fact that Varner, as you mentioned, has some success here, but also has missed the last four cuts and team play at the Zurich Classic, yeah. Do you think that will depress their ownership? And then if so, given the volatility, as you mentioned, is that worth rostering them? Because I keep coming back to the fact that, yes, Varner did miss the last four cuts, but then also, he, as you mentioned as well, he's playing well. But also, it just seems like, and I don't have data to back this up, but it seems like Bubba would be a extremely hard teammate to pair with, given that he just paints every course as a canvas. Like, his creativity is what flourishes. And, like, him being the one that sets up a Varner approach shot doesn't seem necessarily ideal. Yeah, I get that. I get that mindset. I also think that like Bubba seems like a genuinely like really good guy and HV3 is coming off of kind of a rough weekend. Oh, remember yeah. in, was it Saudi or Abu Dhabi whenever Varner they, made that Eagle puck to win and Bubba came all the way back from the locker room just to hug him. And Bubba was the one who had the lead before then. Yeah. And they played really well together uh, they play actually against each other in the match play in Austin. And you can just kind of tell too, that there's some, you know, camaraderie there. It didn't feel as maybe as intense as some of the other matchups there too. So there definitely is a relationship. They'll both be rocking the Jordans, which you'd love to see. Um, yeah. I don't know. Like I, I get it, but also at the same time, I feel like if you needed some guy, uh, you know, Monday to Wednesday to kind of get you back in the right mind, you know, frame of mind after HV3 kind of lost it a little bit on Sunday there. I think, I think the bubble would be the right guy for that. I get it too. Like, you know, shot shaping, he's notorious for the way he likes to move the ball. But you don't have to move the ball like Bubba does. I Theoretically, he's going to, you know, shape a shot and leave himself, hopefully in the fairway. He just kind of sees it in a different way than everyone else does. My favorite when I start is, as you mentioned, Garcia and Fleetwood. Fleetwood gained at least 1.4 strokes around the green and has been in the positives and putting in six of his last seven rounds. And Sergio, of course, 6.8 strokes exactly on approach shots at the Masters, even though he was on negatives on approach in his four rounds prior, five rounds prior. But I tend to believe that the stat that regresses, also you have to go all the way back to the 2010s to find a stretch where Sergio lost strokes on approach in five consecutive rounds. So Jeez. I really like this duo. I already have an outright ticket on them actually as well. Nice. And then second for me, sell me or sell me against the idea of Lowry and Poulter, who I know understand we usually wouldn't play given Poulter's recent performance and just play right now in this calendar year. But as a team, 1.4 strokes game per round in their past 24 events. And I think it is one of those connections that mesh well and that the way Lowry's been playing the past couple rounds especially uh made noise both at the Masters and RBC and then given Poulter's putting since that's where Lowry has struggled historically especially this year I think they actually mesh really well together here 
Yeah, so that's the thing I was trying to touch on at the top because if they get out of sync, though, then you're in a little bit of a problem because sure. Poulter has been struggling a little bit, uh, especially Tita Green. And then you get you mentioned Lowry's putting struggles has kind of been the only thing that's kept him out of the winter circle on Sunday. So, yeah, I mean, if they can stay theoretically on script from like, uh, um, you know, whose turn it is you know, on the certain holes. Yeah. I mean, they're a nice build, similar situation there too. I think it's a nice relationship again, Ryder cup teammates, you know, playing, you know, on the Euro events for years together. Uh, there's a good relationship there too. And we really want to default to those things this week, I think, versus the guys that have been, you know, paired up because of, uh, you know, there's no one left or there's an agent relationship. You'd rather have the guys that, you know, picked each other and are, are going together. So that's for the most part, what's happening at the top tier anyway. So that's not necessarily anything to, you know, separate each other up here. Uh, the one thing we have to talk about is Scotty Scheffler and Ryan Palmer, because it's going to feel so obviously obvious if we don't address Scheffler. And then we have this situation with Ryan Palmer, who is either the most amazing hang ever um, or has found some way to like wet the whistle of some of these guys to get like young Spieth when he was top five in the world, Rom, and then Scotty, who is just on an absolute heater. Like something's going on with Ryan Palmer. Um, again, they just, the others, you can say Texas connection. That's easy. But that the Rom sense. one, I don't, unless he's just like a good friend, I don't quite understand that one. Yeah, no, that's true. The Texas boys make sense. So yeah, I don't, I don't know. And, and there's some, something to it. I uh, would hate to fade Scotty. It'd be interested to see if again, it's just something that people look past because, you know, Palmer, when you look at kind of the rest of the groups up there, isn't necessarily the same caliber as some of those guys that are in that same price tier. But again, Scotty is playing so well right now that uh, maybe it, it makes enough sense to just continue to hammer him, especially if he is anything that resembles under-owned. Well, you could also make the case that 9700 for Scotty is the cheapest we're going to get him for the next six months. For sure. Uh, the fact that Ryan Palmer has single-handedly depressed his salary and they are not one of the four teams priced over 10K. So maybe that alone is a good reason, even though Palmer, they could be brought down and cheaper under 10K because Palmer's recent performance and his last five events, especially, especially if we exclude uh, Austin TPC, like Palmer has performed miserably. So it could yeah. just single-handedly drag the team down altogether. I, I'm not sure if I'm going to play Scheffler. It really will depend, or Palmer. It's really just going to depend on what the field does, so we have to give it another 48 hours to find out. I do like the pin hunters in Straka and Sig, though. Uh, just the fact that Straka, earning a T9 to the players, finished one shot out of the playoff with Jordan Spieth last week. And remember, he could have laid up for Paul on 18. Instead, he took that 150-yard approach shot and went pin hunting and instead sent it left and ended up bogeying, which is the only reason he fell out from 1,300 with Spieth one at. So, like, Straka will go for it. So that gives me confidence that we are finding birdie hunters and rostering one of them. But the one that stands out to me that I want to talk about, what are your thoughts on McDowell and Power? Because even though they've also been pretty poor of late uh mcdowell still has top 25 finishes and three straight performances in this tourney and i do think they're going to be significantly rostered personally so your thoughts on that team interesting yeah i mean so i feel like they're in a spot where uh the teams above and below them are going to be more popular so um i don't hate the team theoretically especially if it ends up being um you know, the ownership that I think, if we, but if it is going to be in ownership, I'm not really interested at all. Um, you know, Graham McDowell's not played really well much of late, you know, had a mm -hmm. nice weekend at RBC heritage. That's a course where 
at this point in his career he can contend because it's you know distance is not rewarded and it's just kind of a you know less than driver course accuracy um and then if he can get anything from the putter then he's he's going to be okay uh, and that's kind of what we saw but otherwise leading into it it hasn't been much but like i think Keegan Bradley and Brandon Steele are very similar games. Uh, they are basically, you know, a lead off the tee. Uh, they can get really hot on approach. They can neither of them can putt. Uh, but if again they get anything close to field average here, they are very much in contention. Good friends of similar age, play a lot of practice rounds together. Uh, you like that? They are you know very familiar with each other's game. And then just above them is the Sunjay M and uh, Benny Ann group, where um, M has been playing terrific. Ball striking at the Masters was great. Last week could not putt at the RBC Heritage, but ball striking was, I think, gained 10 strokes, tee to green. And then uh, Bunyan and top two last week on the Corn Ferry Tour, one back in February. He's trending in the right direction to get back onto the tour uh, but without it, but it, he comes back without a doubt with this win. Um, these two will be focused. Obviously, there's you know the Korean angle there too. So, yeah, I mean, that's a team that I think is going to be garnering, you know, garnering a lot of ownership, and rightfully so. I think that they are in form, too, and uh, I like that quite a bit at 8,700. You think they're going to be garnering more than Zalatoris and Davis Riley? Because I have Zalatoris and Davis Riley pretty high right now. Like, yeah, I think that's – yeah, sorry to interrupt. Yeah, I think that's probably <laughs> one of the top three, uh, to be honest. I mean, we all love Zalatoris. It's very similar to Scotty in a sense where you're getting, you know, Zalatoris – exposure for less than what you typically want on a given week, right? He typically is going to be in the, you know, mid nines or something like that. Davis Riley is volatile, but Davis Riley is a, you know, nice pedigree birdie maker. And, you know, I think he's still top like 25 on the tour in birdies um, can putt it in, in, in a spot where maybe we don't have to have Willie Z make every putt is not a bad place to be either. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I think that they're going to garner a ton of ownership again, they, you know, came up together, they're friends from, you know, from college days, they didn't go to the same schools, you know, Alabama and Wake Forest, but I, they've been, you know, playing on the amateur circuit for years together and have a good relationship. Those are the things I want to lean into this week. So we talked a lot about this range and the teams we like, but I hate when DF shows do that and don't leave you with leans and make assertive opinions since it is our job to do that. So I'm going to ask you your top three teams in this range, and I'll start while you think on it because factoring in everything, ownership, salary, what it allows me the rest to do, knowing I want to have a zip code in this range and basically live here uh, yeah. to avoid the 10K and the lower range, then my top three that I know I'll be playing for sure are Sergio and Fleetwood, it's already tough. Uh, Straka and Sig and Lowry and Poulter, keeping in mind that I'm watching Scheffler and Palmer's ownership, that you can make the case Scheffler at 9,700 is Cooper Cup at 9K, where we should probably just take advantage of and go over, go over the field with it. So those are my three favorites in this range from 8 to 10K. Yeah, I like all those two. Uh, with you know, without having the advantage of ownership projections at this point, I would go with uh, Neiman and Mito Pereira, mm -hmm. um, Zalatoris, Davis Riley, and Sanjay and Benny Ann. Great, six different groups. We did not yep. settle anything at all. Uh, <laughs> the lower tier, though, is where I struggle because remember, like half of the world's top top ten is playing at this course. 23 of the world's top 50 are here as well. Thus, I personally only have one team that stands in under 7K, 
And then I got a few strong teams under 8K. For instance, Keith Mitchell and Brant Snedeker played together here last year. I think is strong. Uh, Joseph Bramlett, Mad McNeely, I, I think is everyone believes is strong. I also have an outright ticket on very early this week, put it in on them. And then, of course, Brian Stewart and Russell Knock at 7,500, if only because you could practically guarantee and rostering one of them that a majority of your second shots in DFS will always come from the fairway, just the most accurate team in this entire field. And so those are the three that stand up the most. What about you with anything under 8K? Yeah, the one team just uh, at 8K that I think is interesting are the Canadians with Adam Hadwin and Adam Spenson. Um, mm. I think that they are very interesting too. Uh, be interested to see if they are not owned again. Just the form of Hadwin has been tremendous. Spenson is another guy that can uh, you know get going with approach. So if they can putt at all, uh, they should be interesting too. This is an interesting range though for sure. I'm with you, Mad McNeely and Joseph Bramlin. I think that they are the best of the bunch, probably. Comes with some ownership. Matt McNeely, I think, is, uh, I don't know, a guy that I've always, early in his career, and this is a young guy, profiled for shorter courses, smaller greens, some, again, Pebble Beach style, because that's what we know him to be, you know, fond of, grew up on. But, like, Bramlett can hammer the ball. He is massive off the tee. Um, doesn't do really anything else well. But apparently these two live together during quarantine, we found out today, that they, like, their girlfriends hang out together. Mm. Um they're very close. So I felt to me like probably a random matchup, but apparently these guys are buddies. Uh, they like to get, they ate a lot of ice cream, apparently um, their words during COVID together. So uh, there's some relationship there that adds to it for me. Again, we're looking for any sort of uh, thin narrative that we can grab onto this week, uh, just a little bit above them or same price. Uh, Doug Gim and Matthias Schwab, like this probably feels like a uh, pairing that was forced together, but I don't mind this. Schwab's been playing pretty good golf. Uh, Gim has not really played great, but does historically play fairly well on Pete Dye tracks. If there's something to that, if there's any sort of putting action with Gim, I think that they're very interesting. I think that they're kind of a natural pivot. If Mav and Bramlett get kind of out of control um, a little further down, Matthew Neesmith and Taylor Moore have some upside. Uh, again, if we can get some birdies there from Taylor Moore, that'd be interesting. You're going to find some fairways from Neesmith too. And then uh, I wish there was anything that was good from Steven Yeager. Cause I kind of like the spot for, uh, for Joel Damon. I think he's playing pretty well. And I think this is kind of a nice fit for him too. Below 7K, Wawrinski and Peter Yulhan stand out the most to me. They obviously reprised their partnership from last year after coming in top four in this event. Uh, have the driving distance at what we mentioned earlier was a lengthy course as well. But that's literally all I slided when I go below 7K. Uh, again, even for a field of 160 golfers, like no one stands out beyond that. It gets too cute, even though in builds right now, Although we know Bramlett McNeely and Stewart and Knox will definitely carry some ownership, I think you can fit three of the four te- uh, three of the teams we talked about, um, and then go up and still have room for at least one team slightly under 10K. Maybe that's Scheffler and Palmer, but that's the way I kind of look at lineups right now and getting three of these that I'm confident in. What about you? Yeah, so I think you make a great point because I think what's going to happen is if you decide that you need to get up into the 10K range, or especially if you decide you want to click a 10K guy and a 9K guy, you're coming down here into the 6K range. And you better have like those two teams that you picked at the top, better both top five because you're leaving yourself wide open to some stuff down here that just does not have 
any upside. It's kind of the nature of the event, right? With 160 guys and the way that these teams are paired, uh, it just does not set itself up well for a lot of these teams. And you kind of look at who's won here since they've gone to this format too. And you really haven't had these like long down the board darts. These, you know, bottom 7K, 6K, DK guys have not really been. You've seen them in the mix, um, like you mentioned with Uline and, and Rowinski. And that's probably the only team that I am kind of comfortable even clicking down here. But that's probably going to be the same for everybody. There's just not a lot down here that you feel good with. I'd much rather differentiate in the mid-tier where we've talked about. We couldn't agree on guys in the AK range. I'd rather play the ownership game in that range mm-hmm. versus like trying to get cute with like the, the winners up top and forcing myself down into the sixes. So from like just a game theory and from a roster construction build, that is definitely going to be the way to stay out of the sixes, um, find guys that I like that are leaning to be low owned into that range that I'm comfortable with. Even the upper sevens, we mentioned a bunch of guys in the eight range. That definitely would be the way I'm building this week. Any other thoughts on below 8K or in general building lineups before we move on? Because again, like we said, it's a thin week. Uh, Not many people are going to play. It's for the degenerates only. So that's literally all I have on this tournament. Yeah, that's it, man. I I really think avoid the sixes. Uh, Don't get cute. There's just such little upside down there. Uh, for you to actually be able to compete and um, you know lean into again something we try not to do here lean into narratives look for guys that you think have some sort of relationships they will play together uh, look for any of those things that you can um, finding I think I you know I can go both ways I could be convinced that guys that similar to like the Keegan and Steel pairings where they they have a very similar game so they're not going to be caught off guard with like where they're going to be left in the fairway or things like that. That's kind of where their game is. But I also think of the complimentary piece like you touched on at the top with, you know, Poulter and Lowry. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that they're, I think you can kind of build with those two ways. I can be convinced that either or uh, makes a lot of sense, but I would look for those things that, you know, can kind of be paired well together this week. So either you're very, very similar skill set or guys that have a great, one thing that they do well, kind of like Joseph Bramlett, who can absolutely hammer it. And uh, if someone else can do the heavy lifting, um, same thing with like Zalatoris and Riley, someone could do the heavy lifting there. And that one guy's skill sets, you know, can run hot with the putter, can do some of the, you know, carry him a little bit more than you typically would. That's kind of how I would, you know, kind of structure my player pool this week. Leave the people with your favorite outright bet of the Zurich Classic. Man, uh, the top of the board is too short. It's really, it's a bummer because I would love to get something a little bit closer to 20 on Burns and Horschel, but it's like 12, which is ridiculous. Um, I, I Well, just from a number standpoint, Bramlin and McNeely should not be 75 to 1. They're 75 on DraftKings, or they were earlier today. Uh, that's ridiculous. Um, but I like, the, uh, I like the young Chilean team. I like Mito and Neiman. I think that they are both in great form. Both have games that really fit any build, and that's kind of what we get here uh, in Louisiana. So I'm going to go with the Chileans. You mentioned Hadwin and Svensson, and I talked about Mitchell and Snedeker, who are only 100 less on DraftKings, but it's because I totally forgot to write Hadwin and Svensson down at 8K. So just know, not only am I on board with that team, uh, I guess this will be my play. Uh, I'm rostering them in single entry, and I already have a a first-round leader ticket on them. I'm waiting... Ron Kloss's first round leader column, which everyone should read mm-hmm. for showdown content as well. 
at betsbursgolf.com, but I already do have an early round ticket on them. So that's a team I'm definitely looking forward to watching, and we'll be playing along with the others I gave strong leans on. So with that, what else do you have coming out this week? Uh, betting article coming out uh, probably later this evening. Um, but that's it. Going to be a light card for me this week. I typically spend the majority of, of uh, my funds weekly on finishing positions, and I'm just not this week. There are just too many variables. I'm going to take uh, – took a bunch of shots on outrights. I have one first-round leader bet as well. It is on HV3 and Bubba because of the ability for them to maybe you know take some shots with the, the best ball format on Thursday. Um, I think that they can go low and uh, – Again, we get a little bit nervous when they get to go alternate shot. So they're not necessarily an outright play, but first round leader. But that's it. We're ramp up, uh, continue to. Uh, we got some good stuff coming, Daigle. We got some good stuff. I've seen some, I think you've seen some of that today too. Some of the tools that are coming on the back end. I'm excited for the folks to see a lot of hard work going in. So I'm excited about where we're trending. We are not settling on the projections and queries we have right now. We are going even deeper. Just know it's absolutely coming. And there's not a better week to hold off and force it to next week like the Zurich Classic. So it works out well. Uh, until then, remember, Colossus and Noonan's betting cards are also coming on a Wednesday. DFS values will be up Wednesday morning as well as prize pick selections. And then we will get into showdown content as well. So it will all still be up there by the time you check Tuesday night and Wednesday afternoon at Betsperstock golf.com as well as our free best bet so until then next week mexico enjoy dfs for the wild zurich classic good luck this week